Hello, hello, hello. Cody just knows when to turn me on now. I met Cody today for the first time. Super nice. Um, I love being back up here. I get a great view of all my favorite sinners. So thank you guys for coming out. There's my favorite one. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, today I wanted to tell you guys about a, two really important announcements. One, today is the spirit day for the Rock Point Weekday Preschool, and it's from 10.30 to 1.30, and if you're a vegan or vegetarian, they still offer Chick-fil-A sauce, so you just get a spoon, and you, you, just, you, you just eat it just like it's soup. Um, so this is a really important fundraiser for our, our weekday preschool program. They get proceeds. So go hang out with your friends. Let the kids play. They'll probably come home with some mutated form of influenza. Hopefully you've been vaccinated. Let's talk about vaccinations. Um, anyway, go support Rock Point. My kids went through the weekday preschool program. It's awesome. Okay, next, this is super important. Wait. Do you have two sets of earrings, or did you take them off? This, we're going to raffle these off. <laughs> these all-the-wire earrings are super cute. Okay. Okay, that's not on the sheet. Okay, we are going to be studying the Gospel of John in January. And Chris wrote this study. It's awesome. The reason I love this Gospel the most um, is because in this Gospel, we learn that Jesus loves a good wedding party, that he actually converted, when the wine was running out, he converted wine, water, it's that way, he converted water into wine because he likes to stick around for the wedding line dances. (laughs) Cody, turn it up. Okay, whoever demonstrates this line dance, Don Leith is going to buy him a meal at Chick-fil-A. Oh, there's a wobble. Who knows how to do the wobble? Who knows how to do it? Wobble, baby, wobble, baby, wobble, baby. Oh, look, Chris knows how to wobble. I need four to five people to demonstrate the wobble. And the electric slide. Wait, turn it up, Cody. Chris is looking at her watch. Okay. I just wanted to see if the wobble could be played in the worship center, and it can be. Okay? Seriously, the wobble is the best line dance that ever was. My son knows how to do it now. Okay. So the Gospel of John study begins January 15th, and this is a really cool part. Be praying for people that you can include and invite. They will actually... Um, get comped, so they don't have to pay registration fee of $15. So that's the awesome part. They can't say, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have $15 to do that Bible. They can't use that excuse. So anyway, John is an awesome study. Please come. Registration opens soon. So I'm going to challenge you to continue to pray for that person that you can include. Okay, I think that's it. And also, be, um, stay tuned. We're going to be having um, some kind of charitable piece to the Bible studies, and we'll be announcing that soon, so stay tuned for that. I feel a little echo. Echo, 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 echo. What? 
Oh, okay, okay. All right, so next is Katie Bird. She has an amazing new haircut with low lights. Um, we both got low lights. We both think it's a little too dark, but it's growing on us. Katie, you're going to do awesome. Thanks. All right, Godspeed. I used to say good luck, but I was told to say Godspeed. Godspeed. I don't know if I can follow that. Um, my name is Katie Bird, and this is my smoke story. The smoke I've been chasing is self-righteousness. I became a believer at a young age, knowing that I was saved by grace alone through faith alone. However, as I began to live that out, I felt that God's continual love for me hinged on my ability to earn that love. The problem was that by even the thought that I could earn his love with my own righteousness, I was actually devaluing God's standard of holiness and minimizing my continual need for the saving grace of Jesus. <clears throat> my story starts as a little girl. I've always been good at being good. I became a believer at the age of eight. I love my family well. I made near-perfect grades in school. I was involved in basically every sport and activity available in my small hometown. If I made a 99 on a project, I wanted to know why I didn't make a 100. We never missed a Sunday at church, and when I got into youth group, I went to every event and led everything that I could lead. College brought mission trips and leadership opportunities. Part of the reason I decided to become a nurse was because I wanted to do missions overseas long term. Nursing seemed like a great way to do that. I worked so hard at having the perfect Christian life, doing all that God would desire so that he would continue to love me. In light of my laborious task of being perfect for God, I developed a weak, distorted view of my own sin. And so when I would sin, I would work extra hard to make it right, whatever was necessary to get that thing off my record I didn't view my thoughts as self-righteous. I honestly believed that I was doing exactly what I should be as a follower of Jesus. But when a sin early on in adulthood crept in that I couldn't overcome with my own strength, intense shame and guilt took over. You see, because I had ultimately based my relationship on God with my works, a sin that couldn't be fixed was a shattering blow to my fragile perception of God's love for me. Satan used shame and guilt to push me into a dark corner and make me feel as though God was a million miles away. While this can sound like um, a lot like self-worth issue and trying to gain approval, I ventured to say it was just the opposite. My problem wasn't one of feeling a lack of worth, but instead, I had actually elevated my own worth. And in doing so, I had not only minimized the holiness of a perfect God, but I had devalued the very sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The head knowledge about grace was there, but my heart still sought after earning it. You see, at the root of my working really hard for God's love was the idea that I might actually be able to work hard enough to deserve it. And that's definitely not the gospel. That is self-righteousness at its worst. Some of you have heard me share that I walked through a vast spiritual desert before coming to Rock Point. After that guilt and shame I experienced in early adulthood, Satan took advantage of that and used it against me. He whispered in my ear that because I had this sin in my life, I couldn't pray anymore. 
I didn't deserve for God to listen to my prayers as if I had ever deserved it in the first place. Bible study followed. I didn't study because it felt wrong asking him to help me. I couldn't even help myself. Every time I opened up the word, I faced distractions and emptiness like a physical roadblock in my brain. Soon the guilt and shame was less about that initial sin and more about not spending time with God each day. And so for 10 years, there was a massive identity crisis, a spiritual war raging in my soul. Guilt and shame consumed my spiritual walk, and eventually this led to apathy, which perhaps was the worst of all. I questioned my own Christianity, knowing that I believed, but feeling nothing. I couldn't worship. I hated reading. I couldn't bring myself to pray on my own. I didn't really even believe prayer mattered. I would ask God, help me want you. And that later turned into help me want to want you. And over time, that turned into help me want to want to want you. I remember asking for forgiveness and praying to believe just in case I hadn't done it the right way before, like I was missing something. I knew that I needed to be spending time with Jesus, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And when questioning my faith, I knew that the truth was greater than what I could feel. And I also knew that I wouldn't be this miserable if I didn't know him. And though I knew my faith was still there, I was miserable. I remember telling Matt, my husband Matt, that I felt like I was drowning just below the surface of the water where I could see Jesus above me. I could see his hand stretched out, but there was this weight holding my feet so that I couldn't get to the surface to catch a breath and I couldn't reach his hand. And that picture described my walk with Jesus for years. Now, all this time, mind you, I was a worship pastor's wife. Matt had been on staff at a church since long before we were married. What pastor's wife doesn't spend time with Jesus every day? I remember reading this book before Matt and I got married where this man doted on his wife and how she in their 20 years of marriage had never missed a single day of starting her day with Jesus. Satan would send questions reeling through my mind. How could I be a pastor's wife and not even have a desire for Jesus? What if people find out I'm not actually who they think I am? Everybody still thinks I'm this godly woman, but they don't actually have a clue. What if they find out and they think Matt isn't a godly man? What if he gets fired because his wife is struggling so much? I continued to play the part, lead ministries, learn theology, pray out loud, disciple, go on mission trips. I taught things I wasn't even sure in my heart that I believed, but I trusted that his truth, his realness, was bigger than my feelings. The first definite word I received from the Lord in probably 10 years was in December of 2015. I was standing here in the sanctuary during a Saturday night service, and Rock Point had been talking to Matt about becoming the worship pastor here, so he was leading worship that night. And for the first time in years, I cried during worship. And then I heard from him, Rock Point is the place for you. I heard from him. It happened. It had been so long. But the shame and guilt were still there. And so when we got the call to come to Rock Point and meet with the elders, I feared that the leadership would find out how fake I really was, how I wasn't spending time with Jesus on any notion of a regular basis. And when we met with the elders, I thought, this is it. I'm going to lose this job for Matt. 
when they ask me what my personal life with Jesus is like, I'm going to have no other option than to tell them the truth. I knew all the right answers to all sorts of theological questions. I just could not make myself spend time with him. It had been too long, and my heart was too hard. I knew I had heard him clearly speak that Rock Point was the place for us, but I honestly thought that that interview with the elders would be the end of it. I'm so thankful that wasn't something I had to answer in that moment. A few months later, we were here. I was still struggling desperately to walk with him, but clinging desperately to that knowledge that I had clearly heard God say that Rock Point was the place for us. I was a mess. So much life change with the move. And you know what? I was tired of pretending to have it all together. The smoke of trying to be righteous on my own was so thick that I couldn't breathe. I was spiritually exhausted and so incredibly tired of being in that desert. As Dawn, if there was a woman that could disciple me, and she paired me up with Karen McDonald. Karen and I began to meet every other week to simply talk about life, and for the first time to someone besides my husband, I expressed how remote the desert I was in really was. I was so worried because her husband was an elder, and I thought, what if she thinks less of Matt because of me? I had laid it all out there, and I watched her face, and I waited for the shock. <laughs> I couldn't handle someone telling me just to pull up my bootstraps and get it together. But you know what? She didn't do that. She replied with a simple reminder that Jesus loves me where I am. Good, bad, apathetic. I don't think she ever said that particular thing out loud. She just listened and made me some coffee and loved me through the ugly. Confessing the depths of my weakness shed light into that dark area of my shame and guilt. Karen reminded me that I don't have to have it all together, that I don't have to earn Jesus' love. And to help me get back on track with spending time in the Word, we started with just a very simple, gospel-centered daily devotional. We would discuss what we had read while we were meeting, and then she remained full of grace even when I hadn't been faithful to read. And eventually, my desire for the Word began again. God was faithful. All of this continues as a daily battle for me. I constantly have to check my motive and the things I do. My heart tries to go back and earn love. It tries to allow guilt and shame to trick me into thinking that God can't hear me when I'm not faithful, that I can't lead if I'm not perfect. And that's simply not true. In the very act of thinking I can become righteous enough to earn God's love, I am simply trying to steal away the glory that only belongs to Jesus. I'm thankful that God didn't let me stay in the desert. I'm thankful that Jesus gives grace in place of our needing to be perfect. I'm thankful that shame and guilt don't have to rule me and that his forgiveness stretches from the rebellious to the self-righteous and everywhere in between. Today, I am free from earning God's love because of Christ alone. Hi guys. Let me pray. We'll start. Heavenly Father, you love us right where we are. Thank you for that. Thank you um, that you love us so much, even in the dark places, even in the apathetic places, even when we think we're really well behaved, but really you're looking at us and rolling your eyes and thinking, oh, baby, if you only knew 
that you still sent Jesus um, while we're still a mess. Thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you love to work with broken pieces. God, tell us what you want us to know about you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm back. Um, I wanted to really quickly, I want to thank you guys. Um, this last week has been hard, and everybody, you know, I know we have, hard, everybody has hard weeks, right? I mean, stuff happens. This is life under the sun, amen? Stuff happens. Um, for me, uh, something happened outside of my plan. It was not a part of my plan, but it was part of God's plan, and he continues to kind of um, unravel it a little bit every day and show us more of himself through it. Um, my son had an accident on a mountain bike when he was racing for his college, and, um, and it wasn't part of the plan. And he was broken into some pieces, but um, he's okay now. He had surgery. I just want to thank you guys um, for the love and the prayers. I want to thank you for asking how you can help. I want to thank you for all the things. Um, our pastor leaves sonic drinks. That's his love language. He left one on our porch, you know, because that's how he loves. And, and I just want to say thank you. Um, we have felt loved and taken care of and prayed over. Um, he's doing better this week. I didn't get to be Bible study teacher. I got to be nurse, insurance agent, PR rep, um, social media chairman, uh, school counselor, all sorts of things. But that's where I needed to be. And um, I, I'm thankful for you guys for understanding that that is my number one mission field, um, right, my home. So thank you for asking after my boy. He's doing better. And hopefully he'll get back to college next week. You can pray about that with me. Um, so with that... I want to move on, and I want to thank Becky. Right, Becky, the Shauna of the morning? Yeah? Okay? I just wanted to get, we just wanted to give samplings of all the greatness that we have on our team. Um, Becky was amazing, and last week she talked about worship and wealth, didn't she? She gave us a little glimpse into some of the stuff that we read and worked on this week, um, which helps me. Uh, we had a lot to read this week, right? A lot of big ideas and big thoughts. And so what I want you to do right now is I want you to go and open your Bibles, and we're going to look at... We're going to start in uh, Ecclesiastes 5. We're going to jump around a little bit, just like you did in your homework. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 5. This week, we talked about in your homework, chasing the smoke of money and possessions is hopeless, right? It's hopeless and empty and endless. And meaning and satisfaction only come through Jesus. I quoted like one of my favorite songs ever, and I even sent you all the link because that's how much I love you, so that you could listen to those words. But that's what it is. It's chasing shiny things. Anybody chase shiny things sometimes, right? Like we all have different things that are shiny, don't we? Um, and that's what this part of Ecclesiastes is all about. It's about what are those things that we're chasing. And so we're going to look at it this way. We're going to break it down into three parts. We're going to talk about the chase. We're going to talk about what that gets us, right, when we're chasing after wealth. We're going to talk about how do we change directions. And then lastly, we're going to talk about satisfaction and meaning in the midst of all of those things. So go with me, if you would, to Ecclesiastes 5. Now, you did a lot of reading, and Becky talked about it a little bit last week. But I just want to refresh your memory on a couple things. First of all, let me ask this question. Um, and don't just answer because you know what I'm going for here. How many people in this room are wealthy? Okay, yeah, I, I know. You, some of you are like, yeah, I know, I'm really wealthy. Okay, let me ask it this way. How many people in this room 
I know Lindsay's one of them, has, has hair color, has a fake hair color. You go to the hair person. Okay, good. Keep your hands up. How many people have nail polish on? All right. And if you have um, gel or what's that other thing? Next gen. Next gen, then you get a bonus. You get two hands up. Okay, good. How many people buy coffee at, at a place that charges you three bucks for coffee? Yeah, not Katie. How many people buy coffee at Starbucks? Anybody like Sonic Ice? Okay, you're getting my point, right? We decide that we are not wealthy, don't we? Because we decide that the wealthy people are those like five people that we hear on the news all the time that have billions and bazillions of dollars and they own stuff when really we're running around with a $5 cup of coffee and $40 fingernails, amen? We're wealthy. Now, we talked about it in homework too. It's like, here's the thing with the wealth deal, right? It's not that that's inherently bad because nails are not bad. Am I right? Amen? Okay. The difference is where are we seeking to find our satisfaction? To the definition of wealth is this. This is, this is the best definition I found. Abundance of valuable possessions or money. Okay? Fingernails count. Abundance of valuable possessions or money. But here's the deal. We got to remember that as we approach these things under the sun, this part of life, um, we're fickle, aren't we? We're fickle. I complain a lot when my AC is not cooling properly. I think I even talked out loud. I think it's recorded somewhere in the book, in the Psalm study that I complained because my seat heaters in my car weren't working right one day. And I was like, did I just say that out loud with my voice? Those contentment things, those things that we think are comfort, they pull us away from what they're intended to be and they turn into cravings for more, 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 right? That's what he's talking about. Don't get confused and think, oh, pff, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, everybody can be, well. God knows where I am in Flower Mound. God knows where I live. God knows where you live. He knows what you have. He also knows your heart. Amen. And so what he's talking about here is we're not just talking about wealth. We're talking about in verse 10, it says this directly. It's a quote. It says, the person who loves money, the person who loves wealth. That's different. Depending on using, using to do great things, that's one thing. But person who loves wealth, it's a different thing. So he goes on. In this um, part of, of, of chapter 5, starting in verse 10 and going down through 17. And we talked about it in your homework. Remember there was those questions where I said, what are those couple of things that he says are bad things that are going to happen if you chase after wealth? Remember, and I made you read some stuff out loud and all that. That's what we're talking about here. So I'm going to roll through them. If you didn't feel like you got a good grasp on that, I'm just going to roll through these bullet points that come directly from Scripture. Okay, so starting in verse 10, I'm not going to read it out loud for the sake of time, but I am going to walk you through. There are like seven, seven-ish things that he talks about come directly from chasing after wealth for satisfaction and meaning. And the first is this, you're never going to have enough, verse 10, never going to have enough. Desire always outruns possessions. It's a consuming fire. Okay? Never ever are you going to have enough. Let me give you a personal example or a hypothetical one, depending on who's listening to the recording. What if you got a job and you make a certain amount of money, but it's not enough, right? I mean, I can't live on this. And so I have this goal, like this financial goal that when I make this much money, then it's going to be okay, right? So what happens when you make that much money? The goal changes, doesn't it? All of a sudden, my goal changes. What about this? What about when you have a house or a car? 
What about, ooh, are you ready? This is, this is like such a spiritual term. Ready? New car smell. Huh? Who's in on that? How cool is it when you get a new car and it just smells new and there's like the, like the carpet on it. It's just like it looks perfect. Everything's perfect, right? But what happens seven days later? Three days later. Yeah, depending on how many dogs you have in the car with you. It's gone, right? And then what happens? It's just a car. Yeah? All of a sudden, we, we have these great visions, this grand design for what we want. And we think, if I just get that car, if I just have that, I'm going to be good. Because I'll be able to truck my kids around and my dogs. It'll be fine. Until I need to upgrade. Until I see Susie down the street and her car's a little bit better. God, you want that for us, right? You want us to have 25 airbags, right? That's safe. <laughs> Never, ever enough. Think back 10 years ago. Who were you 10 years ago? Where did you live 10 years ago? What did you drive 10 years ago? Would you have ever imagined you'd be where you are 10 years now and still not satisfied? Yeah, I can hear the mumbling back there. The second thing he says, and remember, all of these things come. This is part of life. But if you're seeing all these things creeping up in your life, ask yourself, what am I chasing? That's the question. The second thing is this, verse 11. The more you have, the more folks come to help you use it up. It's true. Uh, I think it was the message that actually used the term leeches. Awesome. It's a great thing. I was reading up about, um, it always makes me, like, do you ever watch 30 for 30s on ESPN? This may be the wrong audience to ask that question. Thank you. Okay, amen. Do you ever see the one about Bernie Kosar? He was a quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. I don't know, Browns, somebody that doesn't matter. Okay. Anyway, he was quarterback, and he was like this millionaire, made tons of money, was this great, successful athlete. Then he went on to be a great, successful businessman. But you know what happened? He went bankrupt. And not only did he go bankrupt, he went spiraling down, and it was a disaster. And his situation is used like as an example of, wow, look what happens when we think we have it all because we have all the dollars. You know what? At one moment, I thought this was interesting. He said he was paying for 60 cell phone bills at a moment in his time. He said, I had one, and it was like a flip phone. People come, don't they? When you are, when you are in a position of wealth or when you're in a position where things are going okay, some people come around that maybe haven't come around in a while. Watch for that. Proverbs 14, 20 says this, those who love the rich are many, aren't they? You guys ever seen a boxing match? You ever seen how many people these guys walk into the ring with, the entourage they have? Wealth brings people that want to help you spend it. It's a fact. And this is what Solomon's telling us from experience. He goes on to say this, the third thing is, it also leaves you sleepless and worrisome. Sleepless and worrisome, that's verse 12. You ever hear uh, those who are talking about being really driven, right? And they say, you could sleep when you're dead. Yeah, no, guys, you need to sleep now. Trust me. I've had a week of, I feel like I have a newborn baby again. Only he's 18, long hair and big feet. And it's like not cool. Everybody's like, how are you? I'm like, it's the sleeplessness that's the problem. We, we need sleep. When you have an appetite for more, that means you worry more. You juggle more. You lie awake more. What are you looking for to bring you peace and rest and joy? Who needs peace and rest and joy? If you didn't raise your hand, you're really tired. You're just tired already. In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, I love this. I love the way the message puts it. You've heard this a million times, but hear it right now and think about your world and your life and your chase. Would you? 
Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? I love the honesty of my friend Katie. Yes, 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 right? And God took that, right, and uses it for his glory. Even today, even moving forward, I love it. It goes on to say in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, says this, Come to me. You know who that is speaking? That is Jesus. Because what he goes on to say is, Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Just the word rest sounds good right now. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace and just, just hear this, would you, when you think about your walk, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. If you got heavy stuff or ill-fitting things or burdens that are weighing you down to the ground and you cannot sleep at night and you worry so much that you have like digestive issues, let me tell you something with certainty. The scripture says it right here. That is not God putting that on you. It's not. He doesn't do that. That's not one of his dirt, dirty, dark motivations. It goes on to say, keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Freely, lightly, rested. I want that. I got to move on. The fourth thing is this. Verse 13 tells us that we are going to be broken and in pain. Awesome news. Awesome news. The richest man that ever lived is telling us this from experience. Do you hear that? I mean, a lot of us just write it down and we're like, yeah, 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 I heard it before, but sure would help if I could pay my car payment. I get it. I get it. We want to be able to sustain life, right? But sometimes God is going to allow brokenness and pain and those things so that we can say, hey, maybe God restricted those things from me to protect me. Maybe you don't need the big car payment because you don't need the heavy laden burden of laying in bed with your super sweet awesome Lexus with the rims. Maybe you don't need that. Nobody look at me weird like you're like, I love my rims. I'm sorry. It's okay. Even in the Old Testament, right? Like in Exodus 16, you remember the whole manna from heaven thing? You've heard it before, right? That God had his folks, his guys, his Israelite people, right? Like they are wandering in a desert longer than, longer than our sweet Katie was. And what did God do? They were hungry. They needed something. And what did he do? He rained food from heaven. Perfect food, which is what they needed. But what did they do? They complained. And then what did they do? They hoarded. We do that, don't we? Broken and in pain. Those are the things that can happen to us. In verse 13, all, all that we start seeing in verse 13 and continuing in chapter 5 is that he's, he's fearful of losing what he's got and he's hoarding it like the Israelites did in the desert. The next thing in verse 14, it's, sorry, sorry, it's the fifth thing, is this. That we're never, ever, and in my notes, I'm not kidding you, I said three ever's. Never, ever, ever truly secure. We're not. We're not truly secure. Think back again to your 10-year-ago Chris, your 10-year-ago you. Oh, if I could just get to this, if I could just live in this neighborhood, if I just could drive this car, it would be okay. Never, ever secure. He goes on and talks about a guy real specifically, doesn't he? He talks about how this guy had everything and then didn't, right? Story you've heard before. Some of us have lived that story. Some of us have lived that story. 
that you think you got it all, you're Bernie Kosar with 60 cell phone plans, and then you're not. Number six, verse 15. You came in naked, you're going to leave the same way. You came in naked, you're leaving the same way. Remember we talked about trash bags and casserole dishes a couple weeks ago? It sounds really cold and heartless, but it's reality. You're going to have people that love you. You're going to have people that remember you. You're going to have people that put your tchotchkes on their shelf and go, oh, remember, remember her? And then they're going to go to Sonic for lunch, right? Trash bags. That's where your stuff's going to go. Because at the end of this whole thing, I don't want people standing up at my funeral talking about all the stuff I had and the rims I had and my seat heaters and my house and my yard, I want them to talk about who I was chasing after, not what I was chasing after, right? That's what we want. Do we live that? I mean, I don't know about you, but I looked in the mirror as I was looking through this, and I'm like, oh, this is painful for me because this is me. This is me all the time. Came in naked. You're leaving the same way. They're going to put your stuff in trash bags. Have a good day. The next one, the seventh, is this. In verse 17, misery. It says that he was empty, in verse 17, he was empty, unfulfilled, and jittery, basically. That's what it seemed like. He was eating in the dark. He was all alone. But he drove a cool car, right? Misery. All of those things are Solomon telling us from experience that if you chase after wealth for your satisfaction, this is what you're promised. You may have a big fat bank account. You may have a really cool big house. But you're going to have these things too. So welcome aboard. And so what do we do with that? What do we do? How do we look at our lives and say, I got to fix this, man, because I'm heading down that road. You know, I love what Katie said. She knew Jesus as her Savior, but it wasn't all perfect. She was in a dark place. Sometimes I think it upsets me so much as a Christian, because I believe this too sometimes, that I think because I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be feeling dissatisfaction, right? I shouldn't feel darkness, and I shouldn't feel uncertainty and doubt, and I shouldn't get mad at God. Well, let me tell you right now, there is a God in heaven who loves you so much that he wants all of it from us. All of it. So what do we do now, okay? So maybe you're a believer already. Don't check out on this part, okay? Because I promise this is for you. For those of you that don't really know and you don't really know where you stand, well, this is for you. Because we don't want to go down that road that Solomon just warned us against, do we? We want to change directions. And so there's three things in the homework that we focused in on. Three, there's a million ways we can change directions. But these three I thought were so powerful and that our wise Solomon was telling us. And the first is this, and it's going back to chapter 4. Remember we went backwards a little bit? Did I just freak any of you type A people out when I make you jump around like that? Yeah, I see your nods. Yeah, I see it. You're welcome. I just want to stretch you a little bit. So go backward, (laughs) chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And the first thing that we're going to talk about is seeking community. Seeking community. Now I want you to notice something. Each of these three things that we're going to talk about, they all are active verbs. Huh, active verbs. What does that mean? Do something, people. That means we got to do something. We don't sit back. I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't believe in the Jesus that just sat back and let everything came to him, come to him, did he? When he approached the woman at the well, you know what he did? He approached the woman at the well. He went. And so when you hear this, when I talk about seeking community, I don't mean you sit back and you feel bad about the fact that you don't have community. I mean, what are you doing to seek community? Let's read what verses 7 through 12 say in chapter 4. 
starting in, in verse 7. It says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all of his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This is also vanity and an unhappy business. Verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. And how can one keep warm alone? Verse 12, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Love that, right? Such a cool little, let's like, let's like needlepoint that on a pillow. Okay, Lindsay, we do that. It sounds so cute and cool, right? But it's harder than we think. He says basically to us that community, community of believers share and help and keep each other warm and defend each other, right? All that sounds great. We all want that. And I don't think that's the question. I don't think anybody would sit here and say, I prefer to be lonely and alone, right? You're made to want community. You're made with a dissatisfaction when you are alone. That's like on purpose. And so what do we do with it? If we're made to be unsatisfied, then what, what, what happens when we're alone and we don't know how to fix that? You know what I've noticed? This is something I did notice. That whenever the enemy whispers lies to me, just like Katie talked about. And don't, don't think for one second there is not enemy in this world whispering in your ear. Don't ever think that that's not true. It says it in God's word. And so when I think about this, when are those moments where the enemy is talking to me and go, Chris, you know, pff, nobody's listening to what you're saying. Nobody cares. In fact, everything you're saying is not really true. Do you even know? Do you even believe? What do you, all these things. Okay, so first of all, God doesn't whisper lies, okay? He doesn't whisper those things to you. So when does that happen to me? It happens when I'm alone or when I'm lonely or when I'm tired, that too. Or hungry, that too, hangry. There's a lot of different places. But I will tell, I promise you this, if I am in community of believers, if I am with my threefold court, if I am with my Karen, I don't hear those whispers, right? I hear it because it's quiet. There's nobody around speaking truth over me. Amen? So what does that mean? So what do we do? How do we seek community? If this is a gaping hole in your life, do you have an unbelieving husband? Do you have a best friend that's not a believer? Do you have roommates that are not believers? Do you spend the majority of your time with people who are not running the same race that you run? I've been there. I have been there. And I will say this. Those people are wonderful, and God wants you in their lives, right? Because he wants you to be a light on a hill, and he wants to be salt and light and all the things, right? But who is building you up? Who's carrying you? you got to have the people that do. If you feel alone in your faith, that's when the enemy is going to whisper lies to you. You know, I love the idea that Jesus, and we'll talk about it more in John. I mean, like one of my favorite things I learned in the book of John was this, that Jesus had the multitudes, didn't he? He had like tons. I mean, you saw, like I think in our homework we talked about, like he had tons of, of followers. But then he had the 12, didn't he? His homies. But then out of the 12, he had how many? 
the three. And they were his closest. They were his confidants. They were the ones who loved him. They were the ones who he invited into the lonely places with him, right? You can't invite the multitudes into the lonely places, but you can invite the three. And Jesus modeled it for us. It wasn't like he just said, I'm going to expect you to go live this way. He lived that way. He never asks us to do something he didn't do. So how are we seeking community? What does that even look like? I don't even know. Here's what I want you to write down, these two words. And if you forget the rest of what I say, write these words down. Take action. Take action. Step out. Okay? Trying really hard not to get on a soapbox. And I want you to know this. I say all this with love, and I say it with, like, pretty much I'm talking to myself most of the time. Okay? Step out. Do not be a victim and do not say, yeah, but you don't understand. Like, it's hard for me. Yeah, okay, you know what? He tells us in his word. He writes these words. He, God, God spoke these words through Solomon. They're not just a dude saying what he thinks. This is God's word. You need to seek community. And sometimes it takes work. And sometimes it means you say, I'm done being a victim because I'm alone when I'm a victim. And God speaks to me when I am with community. And Satan speaks lies to me when I'm all alone. Amen? So choose that you're not going to be a victim. And choose that you're not going to have yeah buts. No more of those. Okay? We're done with that. Second thing is this. Run toward him. Run toward him. Run toward God. And then look who's running beside you. You ever heard that? That was a Tommy Nelson thing. And I, he did it such a good job. He'd always go, and then you're running, and you're running, and then you look and you say, hey, you're running. We're going the same way. Let's be buds. It sounds simple, right? It, it sounds simple. And I know it's hard. And I know there's hurt in this room. And I know there are people that are believers and have church and small group and all the things. And you still don't feel like you have your people. Let me tell you a story for me. Um, when I'm running toward him, I'm looking beside me to see who's running with me. A literal way this happened, one of my three, one of my threefold cord is my friend Heather, who's not here. So, ha, get talk about her. Um, you know how we got to be friends? I showed up. It, okay, and this tells you, this is why there is a God. It was at the dance studio that our girls were in dance together. God is at the dance studio. He is real. Amen? Anybody have competitive dancers? Okay. I walk into the dance thing. Our kids are dancing in the class or whatever. And I was wearing my cycling gear, which was very attractive. Very good look. But I had a t-shirt on over, but I had my cycling shorts on. And I had like flip-flops. And I walked in and I'd just gotten done training. That was back when we were, I was training for a triathlon. And I walk in and I sit down. I do not know her. And she looks over at me and she goes, and if y'all know Heather, you know how sweet she is, the sweetest human on the planet. She goes, oh my gosh, do you ride bikes? I want to ride bikes. And guess what we did the next week? We rode bikes. And we started riding bikes. And you know what happened? We started riding bikes together. And then we would sit together at a dance. And then you know what happened? This is crazy. God. Only God. Then I'm walking through the halls of Rock Point Church one Sunday. And I'm picking up my kid. I got my little, that was back when we had a little piece of paper. We had to show it to him to get the right kid. And I go, I hear somebody go, Chris. And I look back and there's Heather. And guess what? She went to Rock Point Church too. And we just never knew. And so then all of a sudden, we're running rife together toward the same goal. And then what happened? Then we start serving in church together. And then we're doing Bible studies together. And then all these things are happening. And then big, hard things happen in life. And guess who I call? Heather. We just were running the same direction. 
The third thing, and this is the one none of us want to hear, especially if we've decided we want to be victims and yeah, but people, serve and love others. Sounds, sounds cliche, doesn't it? Serve and love others. But let me tell you something. Um, years ago, when I was in a dark place, and I was actually walking alongside somebody in a really dark place, and I was like so ill-equipped, and I talked to one of my favorite mentors, counselors, and you know what she told me? The best thing to do if someone is spiraling down into a dark place is to have them serve someone else. Yeah. You ever wash somebody's feet who's worse off than you? I got to do it this week. I got to wash my kid's feet. That was so weird. His feet are like this big. But I texted my threefold cord and I said, guess what I got to do? I got to wash him. I got to love him because he needed that, right? Nothing can bring you closer than to serve and love. Stop looking for your best friends and start looking for what God's doing and join him. I think I said that a couple weeks ago. You know, a couple other of my people, my people that are part of my threefold cord, two of my very best friends, you know where I got to know them? I got to know them going on that mission trip that I keep talking about to Belize. I promise I'm not pushing it, but we might just, Don, we might need to push it. I didn't know them, really. I mean, we just, and then we're down in the dirt and we're doing stuff together and we're singing about Jesus and we did the wobble. That's how I know the wobble is because of Belize, right? Yes, very spiritual. But what we did is we decided to look and see what God was doing, and we did it. And guess what God gave me is like bonus, is like icing. He gave me two people that walk through life with me and pray for me the entire time I'm up here. Did you know that? They're praying for me right now. I had to decide. I had to seek. But I had to do it in a way that I let God take control of it. No excuses. Take action. So the second way we change direction is this. We make a choice to be satisfied. We make a choice to be satisfied. Going back to chapter 5, we look starting in verse 18 through 20 and then on down into chapter 6. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all of it, but I do want to read um, verses 18 through 20 to you and just kind of remind you of what he talks about there. And do you remember, it's another one of our carpe diem statements. It's another one of those moments where he's like, all this stuff is bad and all this, and then just go live life, right? That's what he says. Let me read verse 18, starting in verse 18. He says, behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one, with excuse me, with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy in his heart. These things are from God. This is what he's telling us. What you have, where you are, and your ability to enjoy those things. Period. Simple. So why should God give us more if we're not satisfied with what he's given us? Who can answer that question? 
If I'm not satisfied with what he's given me right now, why on earth would a good God say, you know what, babe? Okay, I see that you're not happy with that. Let me give you more. Who, how many people, how many people have met children? Thank you. Right. Yeah. The people with their hands really high are like, I have toddlers. Yeah. The answer to raising your children is not when they're dissatisfied giving them more, is it? And we stink at that. Amen? As a society, we stink at that, I think. We just want the problem to go away. But God's a good dad. He's not going to do that. He is not going to look at your situation and go, you know what? You're not really happy with that house in Lantana and those, the three-car garage and all the things. Well, you know what? Let's, let's just do this. Let's give you a bigger one and a better one and seat heaters. Let's do that. That's not who he is. So what we got to do is we got to be satisfied with what we have in the now, right? You want to build a bigger house? Cool. Don't build a bigger house to find happiness and contentment and meaning. Amen? Don't build a bigger house because then you're just going to be unhappy in a bigger house with a bigger house payment. It'd be so fun. If you can build a bigger house, I love this. I, I, Tommy Nelson wrote a book on the book of Ecclesiastes, and I had read it like 10, 15 years ago. And so I picked it back up, you know, as I was working on writing this. And it's like he's just so, that's why I keep talking about him. But he's just so, like, matter of fact. And he was, gave the house example, and he says this. If you can have a big, bigger house, build it and enjoy it. It's like having a company over to your house. Like, don't apologize. This might sound personal. Don't apologize for the dog fur and the unwashed dishes and the weeds in the flower bed. Appreciate what you have. Don't just go building bigger houses. John 10.10 says this, that Jesus came so that we could live abundantly. Can you believe he said that? I mean, that seems crazy. Live abundantly. God designed and intended material blessings for our good. Without dependence on him, though, we never find enjoyment or rest or purpose, period. We just won't. We'll keep chasing the new car smell, guys. It's just what we do. We're so good at that. Chapter 6. I'm going to move quickly so we can get to the drawing, which let's pray. Pray now about that, by the way. Chapter 6, um, he goes on and he gives us basically this. Let me just, let me make it real simple. He shares a story of a guy, okay? We don't know if that's a real guy. There are some hyperbole included in there. It's suspected that it may be a story because at this time we don't have any documentation. Any dudes lived 2,000 years, just saying. But, okay, it might not be. But here's basically what the story says. If you didn't read this part, I want to give it to you in, in Chris' version. He says this. There's a guy, he has everything, Right? He has abundant resources, a large family, and honestly, that's the mark of God's special favor in the Old Testament. That's like a big deal, okay? So that's why that's all pointed out, that he's got all the offspring and stuff. And God doesn't let him enjoy it. Do you remember that verse too? We got weirded out and hung up by that verse. Remember that? Somebody else is going to enjoy it. Now, I'm going to push pause for a second. Why does he say God doesn't let him enjoy it? But God's good and God is loving. Why would God do that? Well, let me tell you this. We don't know why. But God certainly is, what we're understanding here is he certainly allowed circumstances that kept the guy from enjoying it, didn't he? Anybody ever had circumstances in your life that kept you from enjoying blessings? Thank you. Health? There's a million So what we do know is that God restricts the ability for this person to enjoy what's going on. Okay, he does that to us too. Because you know why? You know why? This is, God, this is so theological. I mean, 
I can't believe I know this and didn't go to seminary. Ready? Because he knows better than us. He knows better. So moving on, unpause. God doesn't let him enjoy it. Then this guy, we see he doesn't even get burial, a burial service. Well, to us, that doesn't mean a lot. But in the Jewish society, you know what that means? That means that he was alone and no one cared. We just talked about how he had hundreds of kids and nobody's there to bury the guy. He's alone. His appetite was never satisfied. And he goes on to compare it to the life of saying he'd be better off stillborn. You know why he said that? Because a stillborn baby is, is, has no understanding or knowledge of anything and is just not have to live this life and then be alone. Wow, it was a crazy comparison. He asks two questions in verse 8 of chapter 6. He says this, For what advantage has the wise man over the fool, and what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? You know what the answer is? None. None. If life is lived to satisfy an appetite... To smell the new car smell deal? Well, then there's no rest or satisfaction. More is not more. The rich man is poor. So we have to choose to be satisfied in this life. Listen, I have two and a half minutes to share the next thing with you. And that's the third and the most important thing. But God only needs two minutes. Amen? Okay, that's right. It's to trust him. It's to trust him. In chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, we go back and we see that he's referring back to, basically he's saying this, God knows everything, God did everything, I cannot be God, I can't do it by myself. Amen? Can't do it. If I continually seek the chase for my happiness and my joy, I will fail every time. It may be a little bit later, the new car smell may last a little bit longer. Sometimes in the summer months it's gone faster, I don't know. But the thing is, we need Jesus alone. In your homework, I had you do something. Um, I had you draw, or not draw, you just filled in. So it wasn't really that big of a deal. I have, I'm going to share with you the fact that we can look at who Jesus is, what he did on the cross for us, what it means to how we walk out in this life. And not only do we accept it and believe it and trust it, do you receive it, but do you share it? And that's what John is all about next semester. And so here's what I want you to know. I want you to know this. You can draw this on a napkin. And we can do it like in, in just so fast, okay? And I'm going to try really, really hard to go really, really fast. So those of you who, who, um, who have this in your book, go turn to page, what was that, 8-8 or something? And you can take some notes. So remember, what's this first? There's a first circle at the top. What is the circle? God's design. What does God have design for? Every part of of your life. You know what God in this Bible, you know what it tells us and if you go dig around, there's a design for marriage, there's a design for friendships, there's a design for um, all parts of our life, family, money, sex, work, all of the things. There's a design. But what happens is it's this big word that we all hear and we all kind of think we know what it is, but we all don't really understand and what is it? Sin. So what happens is God had this great design perfect design. Sin came into the world. You know what? I, I love this description of it. Sin is, just write this, write this down. Sin is only this, departing from God's perfect design. That's what it is. Don't ask yourself, Am I, is this sin? Is this not sin? Ask yourself this, God has this perfect plan for me. Am I departing? From, am I running from it or to it? Hmm. If I'm running from it, it's probably sin, right? He goes on, if we look at this design, it says there's God's design, then there's sin, then what was this circle here? 
I'm writing it so you surely can read. Brokenness. You know what brokenness is? Everybody in this room, right? Brokenness is this. It's pain, it's emptiness, it's sadness, it's discouragement, it's loneliness. It's all those things. And so what happens when we're broken? What do we start doing? We start trying to fix it, don't we? We go on searches for things. We numb it with things. We're trying to solve a problem. We're trying to change it. We read so many self-help books that they're like, that's like, I can look in my nook and there's like a thousand of them, right? Because I just want to fix this problem. I'm broken and I don't understand it and I want to fix it, right? But what did we just learn? Can't fix it by ourselves. Can't do it. Katie talked about that. She was in the cycle of brokenness, and while she had her salvation secured because she believed in who Jesus was, she was living in, he, in this part, wasn't she? And so what are our choices? We repent and believe. Repent is a Bible fancy word for change. That's all it is. Bible word. Repent and believe. If I'm broken and I'm trying to fix it, and I, instead I let God say, and I go to him and I said, I can't do it. I have done all these little squiggly lines and I can't fix it and I'm not okay and it's dark. And instead I say, I believe that the only way that it can be fixed is, is not misspelling the word gospel. It's through the gospel. And the word gospel, you know what that means? It means good news. And you know what the good news is? It's that 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to die on the cross. And you know why he sent him to die on the cross? He sent him to die on the cross. And I thought this was well said. He sent him so that he could prove this. He could prove that what he said, he could do what he said he could do. And that he is who he says he is. When he died on the cross, that's what he proved. I came here to die for you because you are this. And if we get rid of all the rest of this, you just stay right in this little zone and there's no way to get back to him. But because he came and died, he wiped the slate for us. And the last thing is once we have repented, changed, right? Decided I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm going to believe who Jesus is and we believe the gospel of who he is. This is like the coolest. Then we recover and we pursue. And you know what that means? I thought this was interesting because at first I saw that arrow and I'm like, that's confusing. I don't really understand what that means. Basically, we're given a miracle and a new gift. And you know what that is? That, that is the gift that we can now say, hey, this is how my life looks. But guess what? Now we get to go back out and talk about it. We get to go back out and pursue on behalf of who Jesus is and say, this is what he did for me. This is what he can do for everyone. This is what he desires for us. I'm a terrible artist. If Shauna sees this, she will break up with me. She is one of my threefold people. She will totally break up with me. Listen, the reason I sat here and did this is I want you to consider something. When you go out this week and you think about the ways that you're choosing to change direction, are you trusting God? I mean, are you really trusting him? Because if you've not said that I'm sinful and I'm broken and I need to repent and believe and that's the only way that I can get back to who God wants me to be and go share that word, then you you, you got to deal with this. If you are that person and you have done all that, who are you telling? Do you have community? Are you satisfied with the way? Are you living a life when people see you and they're like, oh, she's satisfied with what she has. There's something different about her. 
She doesn't have to upgrade every six months. What are you chasing? We all chase something. Has the new car smell worn off yet? Are you going to look for new, better, different? Or are you going to choose to say, I trust you? We need to choose satisfaction and trust in Jesus alone. That's the only way we get through this. And Solomon tells us this. Go out this week, get a napkin, and share this story with somebody. And hey, I'll challenge you one better. Take a picture of it and put it on Facebook. You do that? Let's pray. Father, um, thank you that you came and died. Thank you that you love us broken because you come to repair. Thank you that you sent your son and only through him can we know you. And only through him can we stand before you. And only through him can we look at people and say, I am satisfied. I may not always have it together, but I am satisfied. Father, thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.